Hey, welcome everyone and happy Easter. And if we can do it as good as the kids, that'd be amazing. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen to that. And you know what that means that Christ is risen? It means that love wins. It means that love reigns. And at the end of the day, it means that love is the point. And that's what we're here to celebrate tonight and every Sunday night at the table. So we're so grateful that you are all here with us tonight. We're a community, if you're new to us, that, um, <laughs> that is all about creating space for all to belong and all to be loved. So all are welcome and we're thrilled that you're with us tonight. Hey, one of the things that we do uh, for both our Christmas offering as well as our Easter offering is every penny that comes in the door tonight goes out the door. And this year, oh, she can be here. Um, <laughs> and this year, our partner, our, all those funds go to our partner, Ace in the City. And Ace in the City is this amazing organization. They're all about placemaking, not peacemaking, well, kind of that too, but placemaking. And what they do is they take places, they create space for people to be, lo but be loved, belong, and be seen. And what they're about is this community, our neighborhood flourishing. One of the ways they do that is at the center of, belo of belonging where we partner with, and they have things like a food market that we help with. They have counseling. They have child care. They have job resources. It's an amazing thing. So anything you do, um, there is a box at the back of the sanctuary there. But you can go online too. Go under our giving tab. Pull it down. Oh, Yes. Oh, the box is now at the side. The box is right here if you want to write a check. Otherwise, go to our website, and um, you can just pull down the giving tab and click on, it'll say, um, giving for our off Easter offering. So with that, would you please welcome my friend, colleague, artist, Matt Moberg. Thank you, Debbie. All right, welcome, everybody. Let's, uh, I mean, for the sake of the adults in the room, no offense, kids, you did fine, not great, but it was fine. He is risen! That's way over the top, isn't it? You know? Have we ever done anything like that, that enthusiastically? I can't remember the time. Don't answer the question. Hey, welcome everybody. Happy Easter. My name is Matt Moberg. We are thrilled that you're with you. I tried to get formal and wear a jacket. Can I take this off? Because I'm already feeling constrained right now. Thank you. Is this too much? Okay, it's a white undershirt, we're fine. Feeling a little hot at the moment right now. Hey, listen, it's Easter. It's a different kind of Sunday than we typically gather around, and yet we're still gonna start the sermonic space that we have with the same way that we do every Sunday. We want you to know, if you pick nothing else up out of this space here, who you are is more important than what you do. Even if what you do gets more attention than who you are. Who you are, the core of who you are, the essence of who you are, the subterranean levels of who you are, the identity of God that rests within you and emerges from time to time, that's far more important than what you do for a nine to five Monday through Friday. What you do when you try to collect the trophies to prove that you are worthwhile. Who you are is more important than what you do. And honestly, I would say that's kind of the heart of Easter. So I had this plan, you guys. It's Easter Sunday and, and you're not all preachers in here, but um, this is my brother. I can touch him like this. <laughs> a lot of preacher folk, they put a lot of kind of pressure on trying to figure out how do you make like this clever angle on the new and the old story? And I thought I had it, Julie. 
I thought I had a nice little path I laid out. I'm going to talk about Easter in a whole other way. Nick's going to drop his jaw. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be profound. People will walk away transformed. Bada bing, bada boom. I was at the Target Center about uh, two hours ago, met with both of the teams. One of the guys on the visiting team, the New Orleans Pelicans, him and I have talked throughout the years, and he and I were talking after chapel prior to the tip-off, and he goes, so what's your big plan tonight? And I said, well, I'm going to go here, and then I'm going to go there. They're going to be ooing and all over here. Jaws are going to drop over there. They will never be the same again. And the guy goes, bro, just tell the story. Just shut your mouth and tell the story. So I'm going to do that. I have no notes for this evening. We're going to wing it. All right, Lil? Mark 16, 1 through 8, it's our gospel account of Easter Sunday. Mark is the first of the synoptic gospels. When we say that, what we mean is all the other gospels, they look to Mark to tell us how it all went down. Their reactions to what Mark put forth. Elaborations of what Mark put forth. And it reads like this, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, they bought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they, they looked at each other and they go, wait a second, we got the spices, we got each other, we're here before breakfast has been served. Has anybody actually rolled the stone away? Who will roll that stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up and they had arrived, they saw that the stone that they were previously concerned about, which was very large, it was gone. It was no longer a present obstacle. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they got scared. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. Your guy, the one you've walked for all these years with, the one that you trusted with when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. He was was crucified. What you saw on Friday, it's not a lie. The skin did come off his back when Caesar laid those whips into him. The, The nails did pierce his wrists when the hammers drove it through him. He did die. He was crucified. He's not dead anymore. He has risen. He is not here. See the place, if you don't believe me for yourself, where they laid him. But after you touch and you feel and you smell and you actually come to terms with the reality of the fact that the body that was laid here is no longer living here, go and tell his disciples and especially go and tell Peter. He is going ahead of you in Galilee, he being Jesus. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to nobody because they were scared. You know what's interesting to me, and I hadn't really noticed it until this year, but when you look at all the different gospel accounts of Easter Sunday, they kind of, they vary a little bit in what went down. Different details are are kind of like prominently being featured. There's different things that people see that weren't seen by other people. But the one commonality that binds them all together is that they all choose to feature fear. Guards, Roman guards, sent by Pilate, sent by Herod to guard the tomb, they faint in fear. 
the Spice Girls, the women who come with the spices in their hands to check on Jesus, to anoint that body, they run away scared. Peter, John, they get there, they see it, they get scared. The rest of the disciples alongside of Peter and John, they go into a locked room, they cower in the corner and they go, we cannot come outside anymore. Now common sense might say, well, okay, obviously if they took out the head of the organization, they're gonna go out for the rest of the people, and so they're scared of the Romans. But I would suggest to you, in the short space we have tonight, before we get to the Easter egg hunt, that's probably not all they were scared of. They just heard the rumors of resurrection were actually true, that the tomb that they thought was filled with the dead body of their friend, it was empty. And now they're scared. Why? Well, I don't have it within me to tell you exactly what was going on in their mind. But if I was gonna to try to do so, I would go to the pages of scripture to try to understand like what was a first century faithful Jew who was steeped in Hebraic tradition, what were they thinking? And, and I would probably go to like the resurrection notes that we have in scripture, which predominantly would be in the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament, they only had the Hebrew scriptures available to them. And the Hebrew scriptures, kind of quiet on the subject, they don't say a lot. Matter of fact, there's only one place in particular that speaks about the topic, on what to do when a friend who has died gets back up again. There's only one particular space that speaks on what happens when resurrection happens, and it reads in Daniel 12, 2, like this, multitudes, all the folk who sleep in the dust of the earth, they're gonna rise up, they will wake up. Some to everlasting life, others to shame, in everlasting contempt. Happy Easter. You catch that? So if you are a first century Jew, if you are somebody that has walked with this rabbi from the sticks, if you watched him get pinned up against the beams, and you heard whispers that he moved out from beyond the stone, resurrection is happening right now, real time. Are you not going to be terrified? Because how do you know that you are going to the party and you're not going to the pits? Some go this way, some go that way. Some have lived a life that is endorsed by God. Some could have done better. What I do know about human beings, and pardon me if I'm projecting, but like when we actually try to put our lives on the scale, and we say, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Has my story conjured up enough goodness to make it to the good place when all of my days are done? We tend to like evaluate ourselves and give ourselves much lower marks than re reality would have us believe. We don't see ourselves as the protagonist. We sell ourselves short. So all of these people, even those who amidst an empire, even those where they're more of a fringe religious movement, even those who left everything behind to follow Jesus, how could you not be scared? But in the aftermath with only Daniel in your mind to understand resurrection, with all the bodies going up, if this is your time to go to either the left or to the right, to the good or to the bad, how could you actually be so certain that you're going to the good and not the bad? There's a reason why everybody is afraid. And the person that I think would be most terrified on a moment like this is our brother Peter. Peter is like this archetypal figure who time and time again has his foot inside of his mouth. He says things when he shouldn't. He does things when he shouldn't. He's just constantly that character that is fumbling his own self.
Same time, he's also Jesus' best friend. We said it on Good Friday the other night, but if you size up all the different disciples, how many times they show up on the pages of Scripture with Jesus by their side, it's like tens, teens, here and there. Peter, it's 120 times. Peter is always with Jesus. Peter and Jesus are thick as thieves. They are together in this thing. Peter is the rock upon which the church shall be built. And yet Peter is also a fool. He makes a mess time and time again. And so when he hears whispers, angel said, tell the folk and make sure you tell Peter. If anybody's going to actually be scared, if anybody's going to be spiraling in some kind of like thing of paranoia, has to be him. Because he's not running back through his mind as he puts his life on, side of the, in, on top of the scale. He's not going, you know, was I good enough? He's not looking through the, the highlight reels. He's thinking like, what kind of mess did I make? He's thinking about the Mount of Transfiguration, where he starts running his mouth out of anxiety and nothing else and rips basically the mic out of Moses' hand. And Jesus just says, please stop talking. Not now, Peter. This isn't the space for you to be doing what you're doing at this moment. Starts thinking about that moment where Jesus has already set his face towards Jerusalem. Jesus said, this is the way it has to play out. This is the path I need to take. And Peter goes and asks, you're, you're running from the wrong playbook. This is not what it's supposed to be about. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. If Jesus is the host of the party that is happening in the good place, do you think being called Satan is gonna leave you feeling very confident that you're on the invite list? He starts thinking about the last meal that they shared together and how he didn't exactly burst out of the gates. He started thinking about how Jesus approached him with a water basin in his hands, towel in his hands, and he says, Peter, I gotta, I gotta wash your feet because if I don't, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be a part of me. And Peter says, get back, get back. You don't know me like that. You can't touch me. You're supposed to be God. You're supposed to be substantial, significant, set apart. Don't touch these 10 dirty toes. And Jesus says, I have to touch you. I have to wash you. I have to clean you. I have to fix you. And Peter says, well, if that's the case, you might as well wash all of me. And Jesus says, tap the brakes. I just need to wash your feet, okay? That's all we need to do in this space right here, Peter. Follow up with the meal. That moment where Jesus is saying, at some point, somebody is going to turn their back on me. Matter of fact, if I'm going to be honest, Peter, it's going to be you. You've been peacocking. You've been saying that you're with me through and through, and I know your heart. I know it's true. I know it's good, but you're going to turn your back on me. And Peter stands up, and he has that chest puffed out, and he goes, I would, ne I would rather die than abandon you. I would, not me, maybe this guy, Judas, you check him out yet? He might turn his back on you, but me, I would never do that to you. Fast forward later into the evening, Peter's by a fire and all those convictions go up in smoke because a young girl says, weren't you one of those guys that was walking with this guy? And he goes, I don't know him. Never knew him. Rooster crows. If anybody is more scared in the aftermath of resurrection, if it's to the left, to the right, to the good, to the bad, how's it all gonna shake out? It's Peter. He didn't make a strong lasting impression at the end of all their times. And so Peter does what many of us do. He goes back home. He tries to get back into a rhythm of what was, knowing that he already completely fumbled what is, 
And he says, hey, fellas, do you want to go out and fish? Remember like we used to do before that whole bad dream that we can now shower off? Let's go back and fish. And I will say, as much heat as Peter gets in the scriptures, please take note that everybody says yes. Let's do it. Get me in that boat as soon as possible. They go out and they fish. On the first night they fish, fishermen at this time, they were fishing at night, not during the day because the heat that was involved. They fish throughout the night. They show up before the sun gets up. They have nothing to show for what they've been doing. Fishing all night, fish, nets, empty. As they're packing it all in, calling it a day, saying we did what we could, wasn't clearly, it wasn't enough. There's a man on the shore who says, hey, friends. And they go, yeah. It's Jesus. Think about all the different four-letter words starting with F that you would yell to people who turn their back on you in your most dire moment. All the things you would expect him to say that, to people that said they're going to be with you through thick and thin. And then you show up at the garden and they're asleep. Then you show up on the cross and you're alone. They said they wouldn't leave you and they left you. They said they'd be for you. They weren't. What would you say if you saw those people again in the aftermath of all that trauma, all that pain, all that isolation and abandonment and despair? What would you say to those people? The last thing you would say is friends. Jesus says friends. He doesn't call them frauds. He doesn't call them fakes. He doesn't call them like you failures. I told you you'd do this and you still ended up doing it. He doesn't do any of that. He stands at the shore. He's not looking to settle old scores. He's not looking to make wrongs right. He stands at the shore. The son of love is at the shore. He yells out to the boys in the boat and says, hey, friends, are you okay? And they say, to be honest, sir, we don't know who you are, but it's a no. Been out here all night, laying out the nets, not catching one thing. And instead of saying, serves you right, about time you get some. I told you what would happen if you turn your back on me. Jesus says, drop those nets one more time. And the story of the scriptures is that the nets were overflowing with fish. The backstabbers, the betrayers, those who couldn't take the heat so they got out of the kitchen, those who promised to love and lied the next day, Jesus blesses them instead of curses them. Those who hear whispers of resurrection and say, I'm for sure going to the pits, Jesus steps up on the shore and says, you're invited to the party. Peter responds, he jumps in. It's funny because the scriptures say he was fishing in the nude. If you want to know if somebody's at the rock bottom moment, <laughs> really spiraling in despair. This man is butt naked on a boat and he's fishing with his friends and he doesn't think it's a problem. He doesn't think it's weird at all. But when he sees Jesus, he goes, the last thing I'm going to do is swim in naked. Grab me that tunic, wrap it on my waist, and now I'll dive. And now I'll go for it. I will tell you this though from personal experience and I can echo the sentiments of my friends. When you're on that place where you feel like the end has come, there's no way out. There's no good news left in a story like mine. It's done. I tried. I gave it my all. I spent myself. I went all the way. It wasn't enough. You get recklessly joyful, throw yourself out of the boat and try to swim up to the shore. If you hear there's a slight chance 
there's a new kind of tomorrow coming your way. That the ending that you had assumed is actually coming to an end itself. Peter throws himself in the water. He swims to the shore. Jesus wraps his arms around him, and there's already fish on the grill. Jesus is already saying, come have breakfast. Fish on the grill. Fish over the fire. It's all happening right now. Now, here's what's interesting. I'll end it right here. When Jesus calls on the people to come into the boat, there's fish on the grill, enough for the fellas in the boat. And he says, hey, guys, before you gather around, get your, your, your forks and your spoons and your knives all out, grab some more fish. And when they do, John, who's always like this more mysterious, cryptic, ambiguous text, it says that they grabbed 153 fish. Random number to throw out there, John. There must be some kind of meaning in the fish. Well, there was, because in the Greek world at this time, there was an understanding that there were 153 different kinds of fish inside of the sea. Do you hear the story that's being said inside of a number like that? That regardless if you are a sinner or a saint, somebody who is climbing whatever proverbial ladder is out there or you've fallen flat on your face, whether you are an addict or you've come clean, whether you are chained up in something or you've gone free, every kind of fish, every kind of story that's out there swaddling around inside of some kind of boat, love shows up on the shore. And love says, I see you as a friend. And so I'm going to call you my friend. You're hungry, come and have breakfast. The good news of Easter that I celebrate, the good news, good news of Easter that I want to invite you to celebrate is that whatever you are going through, whether you yourself have feel like you are going to the pits instead of the party, whether you feel like you've turned your back on the Christ, the Christ never turned his back on you. Love continues to show up on the side of the shore, yelling out to you in your boat saying, come on in. It's not as over as you think it is. I had a call this afternoon. Somebody saw the interview I did with WCCO this morning, and it was actually after exchanging on a, uh, the email, but they... Um, this guy that I connected with that said, hey, I've been an alcoholic for years now. Nobody knows this. Been drinking for years now in a way where it starts at like 10 a.m. My wife thinks I'm just funny or at least I think she thinks I'm funny. But I saw your story this morning and I need to know right now, if I come clean, can I actually get clean? Not... I told him it's Easter. If there are any days that we need to remember the things that we thought were over are not actually over, the dead end roads can open up to new wide paths, it's today. Whatever your thing is, I don't know what your thing is, I'm not going to try to project or name it for you, you know what your thing is. The places that you think are dead, the space you think you've sunk, the overness that it feels like you are in, it's not. Tomorrow could still be beautiful. God is not mad at you. God is still on the shore showing up in your life saying, come on in, I got breakfast already. Do you want to have something to eat? Will you pray with me? Jesus, God, we are grateful for the resurrection. Lord, we are grateful that you didn't come out of the grave wanting to get even with those who push you in there. God, we are grateful that you didn't come out looking for vengeance. God, you came out looking for your friend. God, you came out looking for your friends.
You came out ready to cook a meal for those who are hungry, which, to be clear, is all of us. Give us the courage, Lord, to come clean with ourselves. Give us the courage to step forward out of that boat, to jump out of it, if need be, and come on in for breakfast. Because we are all starving in our own kind of ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lynn, I was with my friend Lynn on Friday afternoon, and I couldn't help but think about our conversation about beyond a God who is beyond all of us, a love beyond all of us. And that's the kind of love that is crucified on a cross on a Friday night and rises on a Sunday. It's the kind of love that we can't quite get our head around, that we don't quite understand. It's the kind of love that meets us right where we're at, that loves us and changes us and moves us, moves us to be good news in a world who, that really needs it. And that son of love sat at a table the night he was arrested, the night before he was crucified. And he sat with his disciples, broken and imperfect and exactly who God created him to be. And he took bread and he broke that bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, remember me. Likewise, he took the cup. And after pouring wine into that cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you, the new covenant. And when you drink from this cup, remember me. And that's what we do. We remember a love that's so far beyond us that we know it to be true, but we can't quite get it all the time. A love that created us, a love that saves us, a love that we strive to live our life for. During the music, we invite you to come forward. There'll be someone here with bread and someone here with the cup, and you can take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. And now if you'll stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Hey, you guys, before we close things out, it is Easter's special day. I want you to close your eyes if you're willing. Hold out your hands if you are willing. And hear these words from the heart of God, who stands at the shore of your life, Reminding you consistently and constantly every day that you can come in for breakfast. Friends, no matter who you are or what you've done, who you love or what you've lost, where you've gone or the places that you've stayed, please know that there will always be a seat here for you at the table because you right now as is are a beloved child of God. And beloved, you belong. 
go eat 250 sandwiches in peace. We'll see you out there.